Okay, well, yes, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Brett, and I bring you greetings from the fabulous city of Las Vegas, Nevada. And it is how you say it. It's Nevada. So if you want to sound educated, it's not Nevada. I know that's kind of almost like what it sounds like it would be. Nevada almost sounds more East Coast, but that's the proper pronunciation. Just think Aflac, Nevada. That's how, that's how you say it. We've been there three and a half years, uh, and it is home for us, no doubt about it. But we come back to Hot Springs, and we're at Gospelite, man, so many memories. I largely grew up in this town. I moved here as a 12-year-old boy back in 1977, 78, and then, of course, the starting and founding of the schools and ministries here. So it's like coming back home. So we love all of you. Many of you we have not met, and that's a good thing, because that means the church continues to expand, continues to grow. It has been a long and very eventful week for uh, all of us that call ourselves Las Vegans. I tell people that for us, for those who live in that city, it's really a lot like a 9-11 type of event and that you will never forget where you were when you got the news. I actually found out from my future son-in-law, Johnny, he's a police dispatcher and 911 operator and he was off of work and had been at our house and he called me actually about 15 minutes after the shooting began because of course he got calls to come in and all those guys did. First responders, nurses, doctors, everybody just for hours and days on end helping people, saving lives. We did, even in our own congregation there at Liberate Church, which we started about two and a half years ago, uh, some of our own members were at the event. Um, thankfully, not seriously injured. We had uh, one lady that had a little bit of shrapnel scrapes even on her leg. But you can imagine, though, praise God, they escaped physical injury, the emotional trauma is so real and will be probably forever. So pray for us as we continue to, to counsel and love on and show the grace of the gospel to our city um, through something that, man, happened. And, and all of a sudden, you've got so many folks looking, where's the church? Where's Jesus? I want to find some answers. And that's not just cliche. That's happening in Las Vegas. And so we really want you to pray for us. We know you have. and continue to pray for the city and the people there. So we started this church. Sound familiar for those of you that have been at Gospel Life for a long time? It's 25 years ago that I remember planting, as Eric said, this church. But then my family and I were called out to Vegas to start Liberate Church. And we started, of all places, in a hotel casino. Now, that sounds really crazy for the South, all right? But in Vegas, we have slot machines in the Walgreens. And I'm not being sarcastic, all right? We really, we really, so we found this spot. Uh, we don't meet in the casino, but it's in a hotel. And we meet in a ballroom, in a conference room area that's connected. And that's, again, very common out there. But God gave us a wonderful space. Uh, so we have a large meeting ballroom area and then other rooms that we use for children's worship and all that. And God is blessed. And so as you guys have prayed for us and partnered with us, I just want you to know that many, many people can tell you story after story, name after name of people that have come to Christ as a result of Liberate Church and, and God's saving grace, of course. And then many that have been baptized, dozens even in the last two and a half years. So we rejoice in that. But I want to segue into what I want to talk to you about this morning. So if I haven't already told you to do this, turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians in your Bible in chapter number 2. At Liberate Church in Las Vegas, we are uh, in a series right now through the book of 1 Corinthians. And as a pastor, I know Eric likes to do the same thing sometimes. If you're called to preach somewhere else at a church or in a special meeting... Instead of maybe just, and there's nothing wrong with this, but instead of just cooking up some uh, message that you preached in the past that you felt like it was effective, a lot of times the freshest and the most uh, freshest and most special and needful thing is what you're kind of doing right now. So I'm just going to kind of bring you in to the series that we've been preaching at Liberate Church that we're calling Broken and Beautiful. 
Because the church here in Corinth certainly had a lot of issues, which of course we can relate to because we're all broken, messed up, right? No perfect people allowed. And that's certainly how it was in the book of Corinth. So we've been kind of trekking through this, just kind of getting started. And so I want to read to you several verses uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at it. And I, brethren, Paul says, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ, or except for Jesus and him crucified. Now, if you're in the habit sometimes of marking things in your Bible, or to bring it up to 21st century of highlighting things in your personal device, all right, maybe your Bibles, there, maybe highlight that verse or make a special notation there, because that's going to be our springboard. That's going to be the foundational truth that we look at as we unpack these first five verses. But verse two, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you, Paul says, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And real quickly, would you pray with me that God would bless the reading of his word, Father? We we need you in such a special way. It's already been so refreshing and helpful to our hearts to sing to you. To sing to you and about you, about the great things that you have done. And God, I'm thankful that I'm in a church today that doesn't just preach the gospel, but we sing the gospel. We want to live out the implications of what the gospel has meant to us in our lives, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. And so as we now break the bread of your word and focus in on the main thing, the saving work of Jesus Christ, the gospel, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds, that you would open us up to be able to understand things from your word that might help us and change us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak this morning on the subject of Paul's purpose. And I want to suggest to us from the get-go that this ought to be our purpose, the purpose of Liberty Church, Gospelite Church, and every individual Christ follower in this room. But as we examine what Paul's purpose is this morning, and really we see this all throughout what we call the Pauline epistles, or the epistles written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, but by the hand and pen of the Apostle Paul. As you kind of trek through all of these epistles, you see that Paul's purpose was pretty straightforward. Now, he's preaching the gospel, so it's not that it's not meaty, it's not, it's not that it, it doesn't have a lot to it, and it, it's not that it's not weighty, but it's pretty straightforward, and really it's pretty simple and bare bones. In a lot of ways, Paul was a man of one message. He was singular in his message. Paul would beat the same drum, all right, over and over and over again, like a broken record, but but in a good way, like a record that you really like, all right? And he keeps repeating it over and over. Whether you heard Paul at Thessalonica, if you heard him at Rome or in Athens, it was always the same. Just like in verse 2, here in our text, look at it. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Throughout Paul's ministry, he never strayed from this basic message. And it's not that Paul wasn't a well-rounded person. I think it's important that as believers that we are well-rounded. Paul certainly was well-rounded. Paul liked sports. He was fond of using sport-like illustrations, which I like. I like sports. I think Paul may have had NFL Sunday ticket. I'm not sure, but, you know, maybe not that. But, like, he was into sports. 
And he used, even in the book of 1 Corinthians, those types of illustrations to try to tie into the truth of what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Paul talked specifically, talking about being well-rounded. Remember, it was Paul who said, I want to be all things, right, to all men. But what was the end game? What was the reason that Paul wanted to try and be everything he could to everyone he could so that by all means, some people might believe the story of the gospel? And so uh, Paul was into all kinds of things, and he dabbled, if you will, some, but never at the expense of being gospel-centered. To be gospel-focused as a people and as a church, we don't need to be, as some would say, and you guys have heard this statement, maybe you've been accused of this before, or you've accused somebody else of this, you're like, man, that dude is so heavenly-minded, right, that they're no earthly good. And I don't know that that can be true, but I, but I know what people mean when they say that. Like somebody's kind of have their head in the spiritual clouds and they can't be a real person. It's like you ask them, you know, how they're doing and they're always doing great. And you know that's a lie. Like, you know they're not doing well, but they're too spiritual to say. I remember how Eric used to, oh, I don't know if he uses this analogy anymore, but I've quoted him on this at our church, at Liberate Church. But Eric used to talk about those preachers that when they pray, they pray like they have a steeple stuck in their throat. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, dear call. We pray that thou, how mighty blessings might fall upon this people. And, and again, I'm not making fun of anybody. And if that's how you've always prayed, that's fine. But it's not like you have to, again, have your heads up in the spiritual clouds somewhere and be maybe what would be called so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. But let me say this, and I think we had this in your listening notes. But we ought to be, all of us ought to be so Jesus minded that we'll undoubtedly be world changers. I don't know, you won't have to be pious in this idea of being heavenly minded, but we ought to be so Jesus minded that Christ is at the center of what we're thinking, of the decisions that we make, of the paths that we choose, of the stands that we take. It's not about some political agenda, it's about Jesus. And we're so Jesus minded that we will undoubtedly be world changers. And Paul was just all about that. He was all about Jesus Christ and him crucified. I turned 50 this year. And, uh, yeah, man, pretty awesome. And so, uh, maybe not an earth-shattering event for everybody in here, um, but for me personally, it seemed like a really important milestone. I remember being a teenager. Gosh, some of you in here remember when I was a teenager, which is really scary. Um, but uh, I remember being a teenager. I remember looking at 50 um, and thinking it was positively ancient. Um, how many of you still feel like 50 is kind of ancient? Come on, just be honest. This is church, authentic relationships. All right, yeah, that's good. All right, hate you guys. But, um, but honestly, now it seems perfectly normal. Like it seems normal, but the deal is when you're 50, you kind of have this, you know, awakening, I guess, of sorts. And you can't pretend to be young anymore. Like I feel like even when you're like 42, you know, you know I'm not too far from 30. When you're 50, you can't pretend to be young anymore. Now, if it's the will of God, I might live another 30, 40 years. My dad's here. His uh, aunt, Ethel, my great aunt, is 100 and what, dad? 106, all right? Now, for the last few years, she doesn't really know that she's Aunt Ethel anymore, sadly. But she's still alive and breathing. And, man, I may live another 30, 40, 50 years. I don't know. I actually preached more or less this message at Liberate Church last Sunday. Of course, the events... The massacre, the Vegas shooting took place Sunday night. I made this statement on Sunday morning. I said, I may live 30, 40 years. I may live 30 minutes with some people, even in our congregation, whose lives are that close to being taken. And of course, many were. 
Um, I don't know how much longer I'm going to live, but, but it feels like, well, well, one thing is I'm older now than I've ever been. And just let that sink into you, all right? Um, all right, you guys are, you got, it sounds like a Cliff Kaufman line a little bit. I don't know if it was or not, but I feel like I am definitely closer to the finish mark than I am the starting point. And I find myself getting into this stage of life where, honestly, I'm trying to get rid of things that I don't need anymore. I feel like there are, and those of you that are, that are my age, older, maybe around that age, you know what I'm talking about, but they're kind of two stages when it comes to life in descriptive terms along these lines. It is the accumulation stage and the de-accumulation stage. And it is so true. Because up to a, pertin, up, uh, up to a, per, a certain, yeah, there you go, easy for me to say, up to a certain point, like we're all about, I want to get that house, I want to get that car, I want to get these things. If I could just amass these things, there's safety in that, there's identity in that, and it may not always be materialism, but there's just those things in our lives that we're trying to accumulate. And then you get, gosh, I don't want to say over the hill, but like, maybe that's where I am. But then you just get to that stage where you're just all about letting go of stuff. You want, like, it's not a good week for me if I can't bag up a couple of things and throw them away. I get that from my brother. If you know my brother very well, every staff member here is like, like I always get accused of my house, and I know he does too. Anything goes missing. Dad, did you throw it away? And I just say, Uncle Eric did. They're like, Uncle Eric's in Arkansas. He couldn't have done it. But we're, we're the same way. I'm just, I'm trying to get rid of things. But I make this point because I find myself going through something similar spiritually. Like in my walk with Christ, I just want to let go of some things that don't really matter, that aren't going to matter 10,000 years from now. And so I pray God strip away from me those things that don't really matter, even some things that might be good things, so that what is left is what's going to matter forever, like pouring into the lives of my, my girls and then their kids and their kids and investing my life into people's spiritual and eternity um, things that'll last forever. Because I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of fads. And, and I, I alluded to this in the first service, and, and Eric talked about it a little bit a minute ago. But just, um, and I don't mean necessarily bad things. Um, maybe fads, maybe trends, maybe ministry trends. You've been in ministry for decades, and some of you guys that are new to church, you're like, what are some of the things you're even talking about here? But then others of you that have been around a long time, you'll chuckle some, or it'll bring back some memories. And even, now we do something like this now, but remember when Bible study always had to be called Sunday school. Like, if it wasn't called Sunday school, then it wasn't really, like, a Bible or something. It was that thing, and that was okay. We built everything around that, and that was fine. I love the fact that there's still a bus ministry here. And since we still have big vehicles that we can drive around and a lot of kids and others that can't get to church. But do you remember when that was like kind of it? Like if for some reason the church didn't have a bus ministry, if that wasn't the main emphasis, then that was a bad thing. But so many different things and trends in ministry. I'll name some random ones and just see if I can get it. Anybody remember like the Bill Gothard seminars? Okay, like that was a big deal, all right? I claimed as much now, but it was a big deal for a long time. Uh, I remember the charismatic renewal. I remember back when liturgical worship was what was in vogue and what everybody wanted to do and, and what seemed to be the right thing to do, liturgical worship. And then as it moved into now contemporary worship, I remember things like the church growth movement. Remember, it was all about a megachurch. There's a megachurch here and a megachurch there. Nothing wrong with a megachurch. But I remember that was the emphasis. The seeker-sensitive movement. Do you guys remember when everything had to be about the prayer of Jabez? You remember that phase? Anybody with me on that? It was like, it was that book. And it was like, man, it's got to be, everything ties into the prayer of Jabez. And, and, and you know, it's just interesting. 
the experiencing God phase, the purpose-driven church phase, and that kind of morphed into the 40 days of purpose. Now, I named a few. And honestly, we can find valuable truth in every single one of those ministry trends. Even that one or two, you're like, ooh, I wouldn't have done that, but that's not my background. But if you would dive into it, if you had been into it at that time, you would have found valuable things, things that honored and glorified God, but their trends, their movements, and sooner or later, all of these movements, just watch me, all of them are destined to be forgotten. It's like the Old Testament book of Isaiah says in chapter 40 in verse 8, the grass withers, the flowers fade, right? I mean, they're beautiful. They grow and they have life and the grass withers, but the flower fades. But it's the word of God. It's the truth of the scriptures. It's the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus that will last forever. And that's why Paul says what he does in verse 5 of our text. Look at it. He says that our faith shouldn't stand or that our faith shouldn't be based on men's wisdom, but God's power. The writer of Ecclesiastes said it like this in chapter 3. In verse 14, I know that whatever God does, look at that. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it because God does it and he does it so that men should fear, respect, be in awe, be in reverence, understand that it is all about him. And so in this passage here, Paul unpacks his purpose. He answers this question. Hey, Paul. Hey, most famous Christian, as we say sometimes, other than Jesus Christ in the whole realm of Christianity. Why do you, why did you do what you do? But to, again, to bring it home as a church, as individual Christ followers, if we desire to make an impact. And that sounds like such a big world, like, uh, word, like how can we make a dent in this world? But let's just bring it more individually. Like how can we make a dent in this community? How can we make a dent in our neighborhood? How, we can make, how can we make headway in our families with those who don't have a relationship with God? And it's my hope and prayer that all of us that know God certainly desire to make an impact. Well, if we do, we need to study Paul's purpose. And so just as we finish up, I want to give you that, and I want us to look at that together. So number one, we see Paul's simple message. Paul's simple message. Look at verses one and two. Again, if you would. Paul says, when I came to you, speaking of this church that he planted in the city of Corinth, he's now in his second missionary journey. He's writing back to the church that he started. And he says, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or wisdom. He's basically saying, that's not how I declared to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, and here's his purpose, of course, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now in verse 1, Paul uses this term, excellency of speech, For a reason, because it describes this this very intellectual area, Corinth, in which he planted this church. The people of this area had this oratorical style that was very common. And they were very eloquent, they were very polished, they were very refined in the way that they communicated, in the way that they spoke, almost Shakespearean like we would think today. But Paul says that he rejected this approach of communicating his message. Now, Paul certainly could have used this intellectual approach if he wanted to, right? Because Paul was a very well-educated Jewish rabbi. Paul knew Greek. Paul knew uh, Hebrew. He knew Aramaic. He knew Latin. 
Those of you that know, like, Elson Portugal here, he was like, a, he was like an Elson Portugal, right? Like, he, he, I saw him yesterday at the wedding. Like, he knows all these different languages. That was Paul. He trained at the feet of the esteemed Gamaliel, a doctor of Jewish law. So if Paul wanted to show off his intellect, he certainly knew how to do that. But if you'll look at it here, Paul says he rejected that approach of getting his message across. And let me tell you why. Because Gaul, Paul's goal in preaching... Right? And it ought to be my goal today. It ought to be your goal as an individual as you live out what the gospel is all about. But Paul's goal in preaching was not so that people would walk away saying, what an awesome sermon. And we need to be careful of that. That somebody wouldn't walk away from a conversation uh, with us in our neighborhoods or at Walmart and say, man, what an awesome Christian. And I want to be a good Christian, but in being a good Christian, I want people to see Jesus in my life. So Paul's goal was not that people would walk away and say, what an awesome sermon, but man, what an awesome Savior. And see, that's why Paul said, I don't want to emphasize everything that I'm about and everything that I can do, but everything that Jesus is, what he has done, that he will do. I pray that's going to be my goal, that it would be what defines Liberate Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, that it would be what defines Gospel Light as a church. Gospel-centeredness, because it is so easy to get sidetracked by good worthwhile things. Um, for instance, like there's people that want to just talk about Bible prophecy. Like let's do a series on Revelation. When we get done with that, let's jump back into Revelation if we can. Maybe, maybe look at, hit up Ezekiel some in the Old Testament. Let's just keep talking about the end times. And there is a place for that. It's not at the center. We want to get, again, I talked about earlier, sidetracked on political debates, social issues, family values, And some of you are thinking, wait, Brett, we ought to give some emphasis to that. But hear what I'm saying. Don't misunderstand me. There's a place for all those things I just mentioned and then some. But watch me. That place is never at the center. And for Paul, the choice was clear. I I determined that it probably wasn't going to be real profitable for me to major on anything. This is what Paul said and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus Christ and him crucified. The clear-cut message of the gospel. For Paul, this is where things started, this is where things ended, and this is what filled up the in-between. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And watch this. Once, I think we have this for you, but once the center is in place, right, then every other truth can be placed around it. When Jesus is at the center, when the message of the gospel is at the center, everything else can be placed around around it. And I, one reason that we emphasize and we have such an important focus on the cross You guys talk a lot about the cross. You talk a lot about the message of what Jesus did on the cross as a church. And one reason we give that so much focus is it's it's the one part of the Christian message that the world can't duplicate. And let me unpack what I mean when I say that. Like in every city in America, certainly in Las Vegas, we have a lot of this. And I, I know in Hot Springs as well in places that you've been. But there are a ton of good service clubs. Charitable organizations, places that just do secularly, but a lot of great things for the community. They reach out and help people that can't help themselves. You can name some places around Hot Springs. The government has like a whole category for these public charities. Churches fall under this, but it's a lot bigger than that. They call them 501c3s, and these are public charitable organizations that operate for the benefit of other people. And my prayer is, hey, these are mostly good things. That God would bless them, that he would bless those entities, those people that are reaching out to those in need. And then their government agencies, 
And a lot of times you hear that, you're like, oh, government, you know. But seriously, there are government agencies, there are school systems, things that are under the auspices of the government that are far from perfect. But many of them at their core are there to serve, to serve the community, to protect children. Of course, that's a good thing. I thank God for them. But watch me, and I I don't say this to be exclusive, but I, I say it because I want to tell the church, God's church, the truth this morning. I want us to see the depth of what we've been entrusted with. None of these groups, these good groups that we've talked about have been entrusted, really, for the most part, have interest in even, of preaching the gospel of Jesus. That, that's been given just to us. And I don't say it out of any arrogance, but it has been given to us. This is our message, only to us, to God, and trust the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in many ways, and I hope this doesn't bore you, because if it does, you're in the wrong place, but right? But in many ways, this is our only message. And, and so because of that, we need to tell it. And if you think about it in these terms, if we don't tell it, if we don't live it out, who's going to? Nobody but the church. It's the church's message. What's the message? Well, let's be very clear. Because sometimes it's sad, even, even sometimes in God's church, and I don't say this to be critical at all, but you go up to somebody and you ask them, what is the gospel? And your answer is that, aren't necessarily accurate. So what is the gospel that God himself came down to earth in the person of his son, God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, taking our place, dying the death that we should have died. The holy for the sinful, the righteous for the unrighteous. To put it in very simple terms that we can all understand, the good for the bad. No, but Brett, I'm not bad. No, we're all bad. There is no good thing inside of us other than the saving grace of God. And so the good for the bad. And so he died on the cross so he could be our savior and bring us home to God. He rose from the dead. Praise God, right? That's something to get excited about. He rose from the dead on the third day, proving all of his claims to be true. And this is the message that unbelievers need to hear. Guys, what good is it going to do to say to an unbeliever, be nicer. Do good. Try harder. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Turn over a new leaf. Clean yourself up. Sally, this is a message of a lot of places that kind of call themselves churches, and it's certainly not my uh, motive or job here to cast stones, but I'll say this, that message devoid of a centralized message of the gospel is both misleading and it's dangerous. Um, because here's the deal. Someone who doesn't know Jesus, just like all of us were, we were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Man, somebody that doesn't know God doesn't need to get better. They need to become alive. They're dead. They need to be raised back to life. And that's only going to happen through the saving power of the gospel as we tell it. There, there's a bumper sticker, all right? They even still do, now it's like a decal on your window, but a bumper sticker, t-shirt, coffee mug, and it sounds really good, but I'm not going to give you the heads up. It's not good, all right? But it, it says this. It says, preach the gospel. Now, that part's great, but it, this little slogan, it says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. 
Now, here's the problem I have with it. We can't preach the gospel. We can't tell the gospel unless we use words. It's a story, all right? It's a very real and a very true story, but we must... Now, it could be sign language. You could, you could do charades for all I care, but there, we must communicate the message that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Um, and by the way, I mean, sometimes to give people what they need, the truth of the gospel, whether it be the church or outside of the church, to give people what they need, we can't give them what they want. All right? Uh, most parents learn this early on. Um, like when your kid's sick. Remember uh, Lauren, Hannah, Reagan, little kids that get sick. Now they're like all older, so they get sick. I'm like, ah, go, go take care of yourself. You're going to be fine. You know? But when they were little, it's felt like you really had... No, but... So they're sick, and they want another cookie. Bless their hearts. Do we still say that in the South a lot? You say that up North, bless your heart. Nobody knows what you mean. In the South, it means I don't really care. All right? That's what bless your heart means. But um, like they want another cookie. They want more candy. But they're sick. I know that they're going to do something with that that's going to come back through their system that I don't want to say in church because it's kind of gross. But they're, they're going to get sick. Sicker. So I'm a bad parent if I keep giving them Jolly Ranchers or Snickers bar or pieces of chocolate cake. If I really love them, I can't give them what they want. I got to give them what they need. And the same thing is true as we speak to others about the saving gospel. They may want to hear something other than really what the truth is. And that's one reason it's important how we say what we say. But we got to tell them about Jesus, that he alone can save. Stay with me. That's not complicated. In fact, I'm going to give you today the gospel in 10 words, I want, it, I want us to see it. I want it to burn into our hearts. Those 10 words that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And as we keep those on the screen, I want you to look at them. Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. The gospel in 10 words. Now, this time I want you to say it, not out loud, but just say it in your heart. And think about this. Our purpose. What we're here for. Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's our message. Now, I, I want us to say that together. I want us to get to feeling it a little bit this morning, all right? We're not going to have the organ playing in the background, you know. And, but, but I want us to get involved a little bit, all right? So let's say it together. You ready? Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. Again, Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that excite you? Hey, we're going we're gonna to personalize it one time. And if you know Christ, say, Jesus died for my sins. Let's say it. Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. That is the gospel. Again, let those words just burn into your heart to burn into your soul. And this is the heart of everything we do. By the way, God, God is not negotiating the terms of his salvation. Um, he has clearly declared what the terms are. And so in these times and days when there is emphasis being placed upon some social issues and social equality and racial equality, and I am all for those things. And by all for those things, I mean all for those things. And I think that it has been far too long that the most segregated hour in America is a Sunday morning worship service. I love our church in Las Vegas. And of course we have, and, and, and most every city in America does, Las Vegas is really a melting pot of people. 
I tell people sometimes that our church, it's like, and I say this as reverently as possible, but it's like opening up a bag of Skittles and just throwing it out, and there they are. It's like we have people from every race and social and economic background, and so I am for that. I want to push that. I want to be about that because really that is a lot what the gospel is all about. So there's those things that we think about and we talk about sometimes and we pray about. And then there's those, you know, kind of political things that are a little bit more iffy, but sometimes people have different, you know, stances on some of those different things. And, and I want to understand. I may not agree with everything, but, but I want to be able to understand. But I said all that to say this is that none of that needs to compromise our message. Like, here's, here's a non-negotiable with me. Like, when somebody wants to start saying, yeah, and there's, man, there's a lot of pathways to get to God. I want to lovingly tell them that that is untrue. That there is only one way to God, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. God's not negotiating that. The terms have been set. Now, let me say this as an aside. The terms are etched in stone. The terms at the same time are pretty stinking awesome. <laughs> because it's already been paid for. It's a free gift. And if you'll put your faith and trust. I remember our pastor growing up just celebrated his 50th wedding anniversary, Glenn Riggs. He used to say it like this. You come to Christ the best you know how with what faith you have. The best you know how with what faith you have. Christ accepts you as you are. He loves you way too much to let you stay there, but he accepts you just as you are. Those are the terms. It's free for the asking. And so let's intentionally be gospel-centered in all that we do. I'm just going to jump on and off of these last two points. Most of the message has been preached, but I want to give you this quickly. Number two, Paul's counterintuitive method. So we saw a simple message, but now his counterintuitive method. And it's counterintuitive because look at it. He said in verse 3, I was with you, or I came to you in Corinth in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing, or that word means persuasive words, like I wasn't trying to just convince you something of my own wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And so the way that Paul goes about executing the spreading of this amazing power-packed message that we've been talking about is pretty opposite of what you might expect. Like, you think Paul would take the truth of the gospel and just shove it down somebody's throat because it's so powerful and it's so true. But look at it. Paul uses words like weakness. Like, when I came to you and I had this God, I, I came to you in weakness. I came to you in fear. I came to you in trembling. What's that all about? Like, Paul's not this picture of confident self-assurance that many of us might associate with an apostle. But again, this was a highly intellectual and secular pop population of Corinth. It was a tough place to share Christ. And if you've tried to be consistent at all, and even if, man, you've been like me and you fall off the wagon sometimes, but if you try to be consistent at all as somebody that shares your faith, then you can feel Paul's pain here. It's tough, isn't it? Like, it's easy to talk sometimes about anything else, but then when you want to talk to Uncle Jim Bob about Jesus, like your tongue gets all tangled up. Somebody said your tang gets all tangled up, you know, and you, you can't. It's like, I, I, did a, I did a stinky job of trying to do this. Like we try to quote John 3.16 to somebody and we know that. And we're like, yeah, so for God so loved the... Ah, he loved something. I can't even remember. What was it? You know, like we can't. And we think, man, I just blew that whole thing. And so if you feel that way sometimes, like you feel fear and you feel like you're not confident in speaking about the gospel, 
joined the club, all right? Paul was probably president of that club. He understood that, man, this is a weighty message, and sometimes it's not, it's not easy to share. People sometimes ask me, like, Brett, after 30 years of ministry, do you, are you still nervous before you preach? Are you still nervous before you counsel? Or you begin to have a gospel conversation at Starbucks, and you, you really start to bring the gospel into somebody's life, and do you get nervous? Probably not that same nervousness that I, that I felt years ago, like 25 years ago, when we were in the old block building. Some of you were there, remember that? I'm talking about before we built the other church, before we put the second story on, it was just this old, let's be honest, ugly, like, you know, brown brick, and I used to be down in some of those little musty rooms and trying to teach, and I was so scared. I have a little bit more, I guess, confidence now, but I want to tell you this, anytime I get up to preach, anytime I'm able to start talking shop, talking Jesus with somebody, and unpacking those truths, I feel this unmistakable nervous angst come over me. And I'll tell you what, the moment I lose that, I need to start doing something else. Because the moment that the story of the gospel, like, dude, you came all the way from Las Vegas, and all you're going to talk about is Jesus died and rose from the dead. I know nobody's thinking that, but yeah, that's, that's what we're going to talk about. W- watch me. We're going to find a thousand different ways. A creative preacher that's worth his salt, that's preaching biblical truth, will try to find a thousand different ways to say the same thing over and over again. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Um, And so honestly, I am comforted and encouraged by the way that Paul humbles himself. He's very self-aware. He's like, dude, I was freaked out when I came to you with this message because I knew that it wasn't going to be easy. But Paul is saying here that there's no way to explain any success I've had except Jesus. And that's how we ought to be. 25 years of gospelite, people come, they go, they come again as the church grows. And yes, we're the body of Christ and it is important as a family, individuals. But man, it's all about Jesus. It's about him. There's no way to explain any success that Gospel Light has had in ministry except God and his faithfulness. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. He's like, people would talk like trash about me. Like they would talk junk about me. He's like, Here, here's what they'd say. They would say that his letters, his writing, writings are weighty and powerful. But his bodily presence, physically, Paul is weak, people would say. His speech is contemptible. One translation says that it's despicable. Like Paul just was a cruddy speaker. One description of Paul that comes from an ancient document outside of the New Testament. So it's not scripture, but it's a historically trusted document. And they were describing Paul. Look what they said about him. Paul was a man of middling size. His hair was scanty. I'm just going to leave that one there, all right? Some of us hair isn't scanty, and some people's hair are scanty. Okay, but anyway, so his hair was scanty. His legs were a little crooked. His knees were far apart. (laughs) He had large eyes, and his eyebrows met. (laughs) I guess that was that, you know, century version of having a unibrow, like he's Anthony Davis, you know. His his nose was somewhat long. It's kind of rude, right? (laughs) And so the Apostle Paul... This hero of the faith, he, he was no Tom Cruise or Bradley Cooper or Brett Capacey. I mean, he wasn't, what? That wasn't a laugh line. And obviously it was. Um, he didn't have the build of Mayweather or McGregor, all right? He was slight, but he had to depend on something. And he tells us exactly what it was that he depended on. 
So look at the last part of four again. Not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a powerful, there it is, a powerful demonstration by the Spirit. So guys, we need, we need to beg for, we need to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit of God to take our inadequate human words and fill them with supernatural power. And believe me, when that happens, something amazing happens, we get to see lives changed. And as I said, I could tell you so many stories, and I'm not going to. We saw some of them on the screen today. I'm one of them. You're sitting out here. I mean, you can think about a person that God used to share that message of grace with you. And man, you are so different. Your life has been changed. I can't save anybody. We say it like that, and it's so true. I've had little kids that I've been able to lead to Christ, you know, and I know what they mean, but they'll walk up to somebody like, that, Brett saved me. He saved, and I know what they mean, and I can't save anybody, right? But I've seen God more times than I deserve, more times than I can count, use me as a conduit to share that message, Paul's purpose, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we see his simple message, his counterintuitive method, and then just two minutes, but his clear motive. His motive is very clear, and that's in verse 5. In verse 5, when Paul says, that your faith should not stand in, and those words are, be based upon, be founded in, your faith shouldn't be based on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. The gospel of Jesus preached in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And this is how that tiny band of believers known as the apostles, ragamuffins, losers for the most part, just being honest, all right? I mean, guys that didn't have any super special skills. They were sinners. They were unpopular largely. And Jesus just kind of handpicks this group of guys. And the only answer for the fact that the Bible says that they turned the world upside down for the glory of God was the power of the Holy Spirit. So this needs to be our prayer, that God would do it again. I think Eric says you guys have sung that song from Elevation Worship, man, that God would do it again. I told the nine o'clock crowd, again, I preached this last Sunday morning, Then we need to pray that God would do it again in Las Vegas. And I had no idea that he was ready to do something mighty and show up and help and grace in a mighty way through a massacre. Didn't know it when I said this last week. I didn't know that Cindy and I would be on Tuesday night of this week, have one of our dear members, Terry, is a school teacher, single lady, sweet lady, loves country music. She can repent of that later. I'm just kidding. But um, uh, no, it's, it's all right, I guess. But, um, but Terry loves country. She was down at the concert, and um, she had someone, as she was trying to get out of there, she had someone fall down in front of her. Terry thought they'd been shot. At this point, she knew that it wasn't just firecrackers, and so she bent down to help this person, and the person said, no, I'm fine. Of course, the person is just hysterical. She's beside herself, and she tells Terry that my daughter has been shot, and they won't let me stay with her. Said she had blood coming out of her nose and her mouth, and Terry, of course, had to kind of go into, she's a teacher, she kind of went into teacher mode and kind of took charge. She's like, sweetie, you need to come with me. Your daughter's going to be okay. You know, we're going to pray for her, but we, we got to get out of here. They went to the Tropicana Hotel, which is adjacent to the Mandalay Bay, where this family had a room Terry, of course, was a local, but she went with them, and then they locked down all the hotels, and so Terry was in this room with this family until 5 o'clock in the morning. They got 
sadly, misinformation that the daughter had only had a shoulder wound. And, of course, you can't blame the hospitals, man. There were so many people coming in and out. I found out later that Bailey, I can't remember her last name at the moment, but Bailey was one of the ones that was killed in the massacre. And if you look it up, you'll see, I think she was the only one named Bailey, just a beautiful 20-year-old girl, girl from Bakersfield, California. And so our member was with these complete strangers, strangers all night long, just praying with them, praying for them. And then Terry comes to our house a couple nights later. What do you say to somebody like that? Like, I don't care how long you've been pastoring, right? Like, what do you say? Like, how do you walk them through that kind of trauma and that kind of tragedy? And man, I am not, this is not just preacher talk, and this is not just to close out this message, but I'm being 100% honest. If you preach the gospel, and, and if that's what you're all about, it's always relevant. It's always in vogue. You know what we talked about? Jesus, that he came, that he loved, that he died, that he saved. And I told our church, because I wasn't able to be there this morning, and man, we prayed and wrestled through it, but we thought, man, family reunion and Josiah's wedding and preaching here, and I've got a great team that helps me, and they're like, Brett, you need to go. But I did a five-minute video for the church, and here's what I told Las Vegas, and here's what I want to tell you today. Look, what we need in our societies is this injection of life after all of this death, right? Whether it be the taking of unborn lives, whether it be the senseless killing of people, whether it be racial fighting and injustices where people end up dead. They need to see life. And the way that they're going to see that is through Jesus, who is life, shining through our lives. That is Paul's purpose. That should be our purpose. The mission of Liberate Church in Las Vegas is to declare with our mouths and demonstrate with our lives the liberating power of a relationship with Jesus. And that should be our singular purpose, to be determined to let nothing be at the center except Christ and him crucified. And so we're going to move in just a moment into a time of response. And in a minute, the musicians will begin to make their way back to the stage. There'll be leaders, I'm sure, down front to, to pray with you. And if I know Gospelite very well, you just find a place and come pray if that's what you need to do. But I guess the challenge is this, that wherever you are today, generationally, we talked about this accumulation, deaccumulation, focusing in on what is most important. Here's my challenge. So if you're a millennial, and I, and I love me some millennials, right? I, I'm a dad to a lot of millennials, um, and that's awesome. But even if you're on that younger side of life, Maybe you're Generation X like me. Maybe you're a baby boomer. Maybe you're Generation Soul. You don't have a name. I don't know, all right? But whatever you are today, it's, it's probably reset button time. I mean, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I'm not a doomsday preacher, but I'm saying this. Dude, man, there's been a lot of hurricanes, earthquakes, shootings. This is not coincidental. These are the days that we live in. And they're limited. They're numbered. And instead of just like getting in this group and saying, us four and no more, well, we're the good ones, we're this political party, we're that political party. What about, no, we're Jesus followers and we love people. That's the main thing. And so that's my prayer for you today. So maybe wherever you are, maybe there's something you need to say, I need to refocus on the gospel. And when somebody asks you what the gospel is, you can word it how you will. But let me give you this. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Who he is, what he has done, what he will do for all those who place their faith in him. Can I pray with you? Father, 
I thank you for gospel light, for my brother. And yes, God, it is your faithfulness. Without you, we quit yesterday. But I have a brother who came and just put down stakes. He said, God, you're going to have to toss me out of this city because this is where I am to be for the rest of my life. That deserves that deserves some honor this morning. So I honor you for my brother and for his family and for this church family, the ones that came yesterday and the ones that came 25, 26 years ago to say, let's go. We're still here, God. You're not done. Terry's not done. He tried to encourage her with that. Our dear friend at the concert, you're not finished yet. God's not finished yet with you. What is it that you have for us today? We lay that at your feet. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the message. In your name.